Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Suzanne Venker Show, where we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. As always, this program is brought to you by Hair Saloon for Men. Hair Saloon isn't just a place to get a haircut. It's an honorable rebellion against the feminization of the American male. Men and women are different, and that's a good thing. At Hair Saloon, they don't offer coupons because they don't need to. Their prices are always reasonable, and customers never feel shortchanged when they walk out of the door. So get out of your wife's salon and head on over to hairsaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's hairsaloon.com. For men in America today, love is a high-stakes gamble. The right woman can be the best part of a man's life, and the wrong one can lead to personal and financial ruin. On last week's show with Dr. Helen Smith, we talked about the cultural narrative surrounding men and marriage and how men are retreating from society as a result. Today, we're going to delve into the more personal side of this issue by discussing how men who do want to marry or be in a committed relationship with a woman can manage the risks. My guest today is psychologist Sean T. Smith. No relation to Helen from last week. He's the author of several books for both women and men, and the one we're going to talk about today is The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. Simply put, Smith helps men identify good women of low drama and high character and how to spot the early warning signs of emotional instability. You may be thinking right about now that this sounds very different from what you're used to hearing in the media. The elite talk a lot about what women need to do to avoid getting involved with bad men, but it isn't often we extend guidance to men about what they can do to avoid bad women. In fact, the idea that women can make bad wives or girlfriends is not a popular idea. But of course, they can. Despite what the culture would have you believe, neither sex has the lock on goodness. Sean Smith joins me now from Denver. Welcome, Sean. Well, thanks for having me, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us. So this is um, one of the things I have to tell my guests right away is they've probably noticed that the, the few psychologists that I've had on this far and probably will continue to are a little outside the norm. You know, when you think about psychology, I've sort of chosen people who are very much um, they're just very honest and not involved in the scene of political correctness. And they want to truly help people. And that requires telling them the truth, regardless of whether or not the ideas are popular. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. You've always impressed me. So thank you. Um, I'm going to start by asking you why you call yourself a, quote, problematic psychologist. Oh, I guess I'm just being <laughs> clever. I think that's my little tagline on Twitter, or the first line of my little yeah. bio. I think I'm just trying to be cute there. But I'm, I guess I'm problematic. I'm making fun of that term that gets used by people of people of a hard left persuasion. Anybody that they disagree with is problematic. And I, it also kind of annoys me that nobody really uses that word correctly. It means difficult. It doesn't mean that you are filled with problems. But it, it has come to mean that anybody I disagree with is a, a person filled with problems and they must be silent. And so <laughs> therefore, I consider myself problematic. I love it. That's awesome. I didn't. I didn't actually get that from it. So I'm glad you explained that to me. Now that you have, I, I love it. It's great. Okay. And you also have said that as a young man, quote, I was furious at women with good reason, but anger made me paranoid, weak. I chose to get strong. Could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, this is a, a tweet that I posted, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And it was just sort of an offhand comment because I noticed that I was, uh, if you take any kind of stance, you get a lot of hate from the other side. And there are a lot of men out there who are angry at me that I'm not angry at women. And I'm not angry at them. I love women. And, and the women in my life are the center of my universe. But there are men out there who are angry at women. And it's kind of hard for some of them to sit with somebody who advocates for the kind of things that I advocate for, but I'm not angry. And so I, I was just pointing out that um, you know, I'm, I'm not, and you don't need to be angry at women. But um, as far as why I was furious, it doesn't really matter. We all have groups and people and that, that we could be angry with and we could hold a grudge against. And it's actually a survival mechanism. You know, our mind is designed to identify dangers in the world. For example, my we have a little puppy. She's about six months old, and she's afraid of all bicycles because one time a bike went by and, and spit out a, pe- a pebble at her, and it hit her and scared her, started her a little, a little bit. So now all bicycles are bad. And so if you're a human being, you are geared to think that if a member of some group treats you bad, that every member of that group is bad, and that's what your brain is supposed to do. Your job is to ignore your brain when it's giving you that kind of message. Absolutely. In fact, it's interesting that you brought that up about angry men, because I do hear a lot myself from that, from that group. And, um, you know, I try to – they're not all this way, but, you know, the, the MAGTOW movement, the men going their own way, um, is a great example of what you're talking about. And it's, I, just, I find it really interesting because I understand their thought process, but I don't accept that they need to stay there with that mentality. We should explain – to our interviews that that's, I mean, to our uh, listeners, that that's basically a group of men who have been very disenfranchised and have had bad things happen to them. And as a result, they're just retreating from society, which we talked about with Dr. Helen Smith last week. Again, completely understandable. But in order to have hope and go forward, I choose to look, I I choose to have an answer and try to help, right, instead of just throw my hands up in the air. Yeah, I'm certainly sympathetic to men who have signed off women because they have been zeroed out in court or you know, they've had some horrible experience that they have a hard time getting past. But man, life without the opposite sex just seems kind of empty to me. So there's there are other options besides just writing them off. Absolutely. Okay, so let's get right into um, helping men in the in the way that you do. And I'm going to come out with a really uh, funny question that's very topical. Ready? <laughs> you wrote uh, you wrote that the right woman can change your life, but so can the wrong one. So choose wisely, which is mm-hmm. great advice. So my question for you is: How can men like Liam Hemsworth avoid toxic women like Miley Cyrus? <laughs> Do you think Miley's toxic? I don't know anything about Miley and, and Liam. Are they, a, are they a troubled couple? Well, they're in the news right now, and so I'm thinking of how, yeah, they were married for a very short time, and she was so obviously not wife material, and he goes and marries her anyway and gets burned because now they've got she's divorced him and she's hanging out with women, and so it's just it just happens to be in the news. So I thought of that. As an example, like what makes a person not know a guy in particular when a when a woman is just bad news for him? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important distinction, like bad news for one person and not bad news for another person. If their character, if their uh, values are aligned or or misaligned, that could make them good or bad for each other. But um, men are not taught to look for character in women. We, We 
hear women all the time being taught to look for character in men and to have high standards for men. Men simply aren't encouraged to look for standards and character and, and uh, you know, shared values and emotional stability and mental stability and uh, you know, clarity of, of intention and all the things that a person should be looking for in a potential partner. Men don't get this lesson, and so what men default to when they're choosing who they're going to uh, partner with is, well, she's pretty and she talks to me, and that seems to be the standard that most men go by, and it's an insufficient standard. Absolutely. Why do you think they are not taught to look for character? Any ideas on that? Or mental well, stability? I'm not, at, yeah. I'm not real good at talking about society, you know, big societal movements, because because I work with individual men in, in their individual lives, so I can only speak from, yeah. from that experience. And most guys simply haven't gotten the message they, that they should be looking. They've gotten the message that they should be of service to the world and that they should be of service to women. Right. They've not get, gotten the message that they should really ask for anything in return. A lot of times they haven't gotten the message that they should pursue their own agenda, and that's actually a better way to enter a relationship than trying to please the person that you're Absolutely. And so when you, you, these are the men, do you see mostly men in your practice? I see, it used to be about half and half, and it's, it's really veering more toward men lately, um, just because that's, you know, my name is out there, so I have yeah. a lot of men approaching me. Yeah. Okay, so I need to go to a break here in a minute, but I wanna, when we come back, I want to ask you a very specific question about um, the kind of the women that men are attracted to, and... Um, where that kind of might come from in terms of their you know, background or what have you. So we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Do you ever wonder what happened to courtship and find yourself longing to go out on a real date? Do you ask yourself why some marriages last and others fall apart? Is your marriage struggling despite your best efforts to keep it together? Women who win at love don't have a gift you don't have. What makes them unique is that they aren't at war with the men in their lives. Rather than take a competitive approach to relationships, as the culture teaches, they accept that men are men and that women are women. And that makes all the difference. Whether you're single and mapping out your life, or you're divorced or unhappily married, women who win at love will permanently alter the way you view men in marriage. You will learn the eight dating rules that lead to marriage, why super successful women struggle in love, what men want and what women want, hint, they're not the same, why love alone is not a reason to get married, how to avoid the green grass syndrome, and why acting like a man lands women in a ditch. Women Who Win at Love is an in-depth examination of modern dating and marriage and a wake-up call for women at every stage of life. So go to Amazon.com and type in Women Who Win at Love and get ready for your life to change. Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Sean Smith, a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and author of The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk and Dating in Marriage. So we left off where I said I wanted to ask you about something very specific, um, and that is, is there, is there a way to, to determine I mean, what, in, what would cause a, the average man to be attracted to, um, let's say, a very feminist-minded woman who believes that there's – whose philosophy is very much aligned with the idea that there's a patriarchy that could hold women back? Like, why would a man think that's not bad news? 
for them? Well, <laughs> I've always wondered this. I've, yeah, it's, it's a baffling question, isn't it? Yeah. I've, I've come across a couple of explanations. One is guys being of service and wanting to rescue the woman and you know be a white knight and and white knights always they always have some sort of little dark motive in the background a sort of tick for tat expectation in the back of their minds but there's also this this genuine sort of innocent desire to prove that uh, we're not all like that some of us men are good and there's also a lot of guys who uh, frankly don't feel that they deserve any better than that, that if they're getting yelled at, well, they've always gotten yelled at for being a man, so this is no different. I'm a man. I'm a bad guy. I guess this is just what I expect is to be disapproved of. And I, I had a third one in mind just a second ago, but I think it, a lot of times it boils down to just not having expectations. Oh, and excitement. Excitement is, is the other yeah. uh, motivation that I've seen where women who are very passionate are also very attractive to men, especially young men who don't see Patsy. You were talking about Miley Cyrus a minute ago. If I were a younger man, I would find her to be adorable despite however troubled she might be. But it's your job, right, to get them to see through to where the trouble is. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's where you specialize. And so, um, yeah, that just, it's just very interesting to me. And I've just written a few articles on this issue about, that are directed to men. And and they've written back that they, um, and you'll know a lot about this and can speak to this, but that the common theme seems to be that they had very domineering mothers who they wanted to please and had very had a lot of trouble pleasing them. So sometimes I think that tends to translate to picking the wrong woman for the same kind of reasons that they tried to please their mom. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, I'd say there's definitely something to that. In general, um, I tend to go for simple explanations, but simple explanations can sometimes take you to the same place as more complicated ones. And the simple explanation that seems most apparent to me is that people do what they know how to do. So if they grew up around a certain kind of um, a certain kind of relationship with their parents, meaning parents were always disapproving or parents were always supportive or whatever. Say you have a parent who was always disapproving. Well that guy then knows how to do that kind of relationship. He understands Mm -hmm. disapproving relationships and he's going to naturally gravitate towards someone who's disapproving just because it's familiar. And it's not that he's reenacting any trauma or or any kind of complicated explanations. It's just what you know how to do. That's that's interesting because that's exactly what this gentleman said to me in the email is like, I can't believe how much I internalized this dysfunction and just repeated it myself, myself in adulthood. It was yeah, pretty fascinating. Okay, so I want to move on here to I when I was doing some research on you, I something that you're doing interviews with with a gentleman, where is it Richard Cooper? Yes. Yes. So you you're on there a lot. And one of the things that I saw there is that you were talking a lot about um, women who are control freaks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it was um, on that show. And so I wanted to ask you about that because that's, I think, very, very common issue today, more so than ever. Not that it's entirely new, but it's definitely bigger, I think, than it ever has been. So could you kind of explain um, what that looks like in terms of – I know there's a spectrum for that behavior, but how men can handle that and how many chances does he give her to sort of – change your ways kind of thing. And what, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And control freak is it's, it's a really vague and sloppy term that we threw out there. Um, one of the most common things in, in that area that I see 
men having to contend with is women who, for whatever reason, you know, God bless them, but they're having trouble managing their own emotions, can't manage their own internal internal experiences very well. So they're they're very easily injured, they're very easily made anxious, they're very easily made depressed or angry. And so in order to help herself, uh, and this could be men too, this isn't exclusive to women, but we're just talking about relationships right. in one direction here. So in order to manage her own internal experience, her own emotions, she will tend to control his behavior because if she can control what he does, then she's controlling the amount of unpleasant stimulus that she's receiving, and that helps her tone down her own emotions. And so in terms of, in answer to the question, how much of this do you tolerate? Well, I think you identify the problem if that's what's going on. You point it out, you put a name to it, and a person is either willing to address it and fix it, or they aren't. And if they aren't, well, then that tells you something about where the relationship is headed. Yeah. And do you find, I mean, in your personal experience, has it been more people are able to do that or not able to do that? Depends on if they're motivated. If they're motivated to do it, then absolutely. You know, people can do anything they set their mind to. But sometimes you have to do that calculus of, of is it worth the effort that it's going to take me to make this change or do I just keep going on this way because it's easier today? And yeah, people a lot of times take take the short term satisfaction over the long term progress. Are there things that men can uh, different behaviors that um, let's see how do I say this where um, it's more dangerous versus just or more manipulative versus um, in it like you say just sort of innocent that she's unable to control her emotions and you can see in other words when does it become something else that you cannot help. As a, as the man in the relationship, that you basically have to say, okay, this is way over the line. What are those signals? Well, anytime anything becomes physical, obviously that, that's sort of right. Bar, and men will tolerate this over and over and over again. They'll tolerate physical abuse. They'll tolerate coercion and control. They'll tolerate psychological aggressions. And these are things that have been quantified by the Centers for Disease Control when they when they look at intimate partner violence, there's this interesting breakdown where men, when men get violent, they do more damage. And, and it's a bad scene when men get violent and they do it more often. Uh, they become more severely violent more often than women do. But women by a very large margin, by something like 20 to 25%, depending on the category, they are more uh, psychologically aggressive and they are more controlling and coercive, meaning they're doing things like uh, separating him isolating him from friends and family, not not allowing him to go out and do things or spend money the way he wants to, you know, gaslighting him, doing that sort of stuff. And they also more frequently use low levels of aggression. And men will tolerate this way beyond they should, where they should. And anytime any relationship gets physical, especially if it's in the early stages, that's grounds for dismissal right there. Um, it gets a lot more complicated when you're married to somebody, for example, and it starts to get physical. And that's why I'm so insistent that men carefully, carefully vet women before they, they live together or marry, to, or marry or enter into anything that could look, like, look to the law like a meretricious relationship. Yeah, so what are some of those things that, that you do suggest for them to, in terms of vetting the women so, to lock, watch out for? Men, I, I give men the big three, which is, Emotional maturity, 
mental stability and clarity of intention. And then there are some other things to look for, like just character signs and shared value. Shared value is incredibly important, and it's it's actually harder to tease out than than it sounds like shared values. But emotional maturity, um, the Something like that is something that you have to observe for a couple of years. And the reason I say a couple of years is because as much as we, as much as science has been able to pin it down, it looks like the honeymoon phase is an actual biological event where your brain is, has deviated from its baseline. And so you have slightly different neurochemistry when you're in the honeymoon phase where you're infatuated with somebody and you can't get enough of them. And Estimates are that that lasts anywhere between six months and 18 months. And my thought is um, the best way to assess somebody is to get through the honeymoon phase. And once you're out of the honeymoon phase, then give it at least another year so that you can see how they function when they're not under the influence of their own hormones. You know, and, and you're not under the influence of your own hormones. I th- I think that's fa- that's fantastic. That's just a great way of explaining that. I had known about the the biochemistry and how long that honeymoon period begins, but that the way you just described it is makes perfect sense. You got to get out of that and then give it another year to really be able to think more clearly about it. Okay, I need to jump to a you're break. At, you're at minimum. Yeah. 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 At minimum. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, okay, I'm going to jump to a break and then we'll be right back. You're a man that respects quality over quantity. You value relationships that can stand the test of time. You enjoy convenience without sacrificing comfort. At Hair Saloon for Men, we get it. We're restoring the time-honored tradition of delivering a haircut experience men across all generations can depend on. Because sometimes the man everyone depends on needs a place of his own to depend on. While today's world is filled with numerous clip joints and fancy salons, Hair Saloon is building something better, something different. Hair Saloon for men against the grain. Visit hairsaloon.com to find a saloon in your neighborhood or for franchising opportunities. That's hairsaloon.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. One of my favorite things about taking my son to Hair Saloon when he was young was that the front desk keeps extensive client notes on each customer, so I didn't have to remember what they did the time before that made my son's hair look so good. No matter which stylist my son had had, he could always get the same haircut. That's one of the many benefits you'll get from being a customer at Hair Saloon for Men. So head on over to HairSaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's HairSaloon.com. We're talking today with Sean Smith, a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and author of The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. So we left off talking about those big three um, things to watch out for, I guess, when a man is vetting a woman. And I just want you to repeat them really quick before we move on, because I thought they were great. Okay, emotional maturity, mental stability, and clarity of an intention. And in the book, I break down... Emotional maturity, I break it down into five dimensions so that you have men have something specific to look for rather than just a vague sense of emotional maturity. Yeah, good. Excellent. Okay. I'm going to switch, switch gears just a little bit here. I want to talk about what you and I are both very familiar with that came out earlier this year in January, and that's the APA guidelines on, quote-unquote, traditional masculinity and how it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, right. 
we have to cover this because it's it's so important that people understand that what they're being taught and told from the culture is absolutely emphatically wrong. But I think when it's coming from, and I love the fact that you're a psychologist and that this information came from the APA, which is the American Psychological Association for those who may not know. And it's it's important for psychologists like yourself to be able to say, hey, this is not accurate, even though they're the APA and I'm a psychologist. So do you want to speak to that a bit? Yeah, and I've been very vocal and I've even asked them, and if any of them happen to be listening right now, I'll ask again uh, to debate me in public on my channel, and, and let's have a discussion about these guidelines. But these guidelines are, are horrible, and the reason I say they're horrible, that, that's uh, <laughs> quite an indictment, is that there are some unintended consequences to the message that they put out there. Now, the guidelines themselves, there are some positive points. It's kind of a mixed bag, but the negative points are so overwhelmingly negative that I can actually see this these sets of guidelines um, being enacted in training programs. Of course, they will be enacted in training mm-hmm. programs because the APA is the, the largest accrediting body. So if you are a training program that wants to remain accredited, you will abide by these guidelines. And the guidelines say that you need to be a feminist activist, essentially, mm-hmm. and you need to, to put the message out there that traditionally masculine traits like stoicism is on the whole harmful. And that's a quote from from an APA represented on the whole harmful. Something like stoicism is a mixed bag. Yes, it can be damaging if it's done to excess, but anything can be damaging when done to excess. Compassion done to excess can become toxic, whatever that word toxic means. And so they've put this message out there that is on the whole very negative, but also them being played up, the negative side is being played up. And, And what are boys and young men hearing? Well, they're hearing that their masculine traits are damaging. They're, they're a danger to themselves and to others. And so the reason I say the guidelines are horrible is that, okay, that message is out there now. What effect does that have on them? What does that have, what effect does that have on their depression, on their ability to relate to women? What is it, what effect will it have on suicide? You know, they put this out there in a very reckless manner. And I don't think they gave, I think they are so ideologically bound that they really didn't give much thought to what the outcome would be. Absolutely. No question. And just to give an example, I think a really good example is um, something that you were talking about with this gentleman that I mentioned earlier in your in your uh, interview. He had mentioned um, something about delay, don't deny your emotions, meaning boys, you know, the, the message from the culture is that boys are constantly taught to hold their emotions in by these toxic fathers they had who said to their boys, we don't you know, we don't show our emotions. But in fact, it's not that that can't happen and it was never happened, but that that's the norm. And and rather than delineating between denying that and pushing them down from delaying it, meaning there are times when it's good not to display emotion. Yes. That's a Men distinction be, that's not made with yeah, when these guidelines. Exactly. The guidelines... Yeah, you, you said it perfectly. They don't make that distinction that you're supposed to be, you're supposed to vomit your emotions all over the place without taking into consideration the fact that they're right about something, which is that men can be tremendously dangerous creatures. And we need to learn how to manage the way our emotions. It's one of the most important things that men learn. And they don't, the APA doesn't seem to understand men and they don't seem very interested in understanding mm-hmm. them. They don't understand the value of these basic lessons that men give to their sons. No, and sons, uh, 
again, sons uh, copy everything their fathers do and need that for identification. And that's, and it's to, to, to suggest that, um, that that's not, you know, that a traditional man is somehow not going to be able to pass on what that boy needs is just absurd. I have to go to a quick break once again. When we come back, we're going to shift gears just a bit. Are you unhappily single? Does your marriage or relationship feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their marriage or relationship. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of emails. For this reason, I offer relationship coaching for those who are struggling to find love and for couples whose marriage or relationship feels stuck in a negative cycle. Go to SuzanneBanker.com and sign up today for a coaching session with me and learn the tools you need to find love and sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneBanker.com. Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Sean Smith, a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and author of The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. And we left off talking about the APA guidelines um, from earlier this year that deemed traditional masculinity, quote-unquote, harmful without making any distinction between what strong or good masculinity looks like and then comparing that to what they call toxic, although, you know, as you say, anything can be bad or good. So let's just talk about what can be good and rather than labeling the whole thing as bad, which is what they did. Um, I'd like to move on a little bit to um, – I'm going to ask you a question that, um, I think is really significant, and it's kind of just kind of come out of nowhere. So I'm just going to ask it. How can a, okay? How can a man get comfortable saying no to a woman? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a really good question. I love that question. Okay, first part. The first part of the answer is practice. But how do you get the practice? The practice has to come from a man uh, being very clear about what his mission and what his goals and what his values are so that when difficult situations come along, like, for example, if you're a man who's been taught that you are here to serve women, which is not a terrible message, but it can get you in trouble, that when a challenging situation comes along, you can check in with your values, your goals, and your mission rather than your emotional reaction, which would be, well, I have to say yes no matter what, even if saying yes can cause great harm down the road. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. I think this is so hard for men because I do think that they are um, made to serve women, not in a, a you know a negative way, but uh, um, to take care of them and to and to make them happy and to see them happy, and that's a wonderful thing. But the problem is if it's not um, respected or understood that that's a part of a man's identity, and then you in return are gracious and um, respectful, then it can things can really get get out of hand and a man I think can have trouble understanding that they're serving too much and they're not getting enough back. Yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah to the point where they're hurting themselves and they're actually hurting their loved ones by giving in to things that they know to be damaging. Right. Right. And, and yeah, exactly. And of course this there's smaller conversations about, you know, how something should be in the house versus <laughs> bigger issues, you know, about how you're going to raise your kids. So we want to make a yeah. distinction there. But um, and yeah. this is one of those, those struggles that men have that women don't so much because women grow up hearing the message. And this is good. I'm not complaining about this, but no means no. You know, women have 
ultimate uh, permission and authority to say no to a man, as they should. Men get the opposite message. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Um, So what are some of the most common mistakes that lead men into disastrous relationships, Sean? The most common mistake is not giving a long enough period of time to vet a potential partner. So you don't get to find out who they really are until it's too late and you're now bound by these entanglements like you've gone into a lease together, you bought a car together, you have a dog together, maybe you got married. And it, the further you get into that, the commitment of a relationship, the harder it is to extricate yourself once problems start to surface or, or incompatibilities. You know, you know, problems are different than incompatibilities. That's interesting because I always think of women as moving faster than men in general because they're so, you know we're more emotional so we tend to go with our heart and, and I think of men as being a little more practical in that sense and is that not the way it plays out? It does tend to play out that way. Well, there, there's a couple pieces of that. One is that men do fall in love and get attached faster than women do, which is really contrary to what what we've been taught. Yeah, there's some pretty compelling research in that department, but. Still, in general, men tend to be the ones trying to put the brakes on, but um, it goes back to that desire to serve. Men will, uh, out of the desire to serve, they will follow a woman down a path against their better judgment. They'll march to the altar against their better judgment Mm -hmm. because they haven't learned how to say no and follow their values rather than that call to serve. Interesting. How can men reduce the odds of a good relationship going bad? They can reduce the odds by setting the the precedent from the beginning that before they even go into a relationship, they are solid in their financial foundation, their ideological foundation, their goals, their ambitions, their careers, and making that a centerpiece of their life, which sounds pretty self-centered, and I, I guess it could be taken as self-centered, but who would you rather be with? Would you, would you rather be with somebody who's being blown around by the wind still, which most guys, young guys are, like guys who mm-hmm. haven't established themselves, or would you rather be with somebody who knows where he's going? And you can make a decision then about whether or not you want to join him on where he's going. He can make a decision about whether he wants to join you on where you're going. So knowing your mission and sticking to it is one of the most important things men need to do. Excellent. Okay, we have to do one more um, commercial break, and then we come back. I have... Um, I'm going to ask you about some suggestions that you offer men. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Sean Smith, a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and author of The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. And with just a few minutes that we have left, Sean, I wanted to ask you or talk to you about some of the suggestions that you've given men in terms of what to watch out for when they're dating and trying to discern, look, is this person somebody I could potentially marry, you know, and stay together? Or is this something that's um, that's kind of a red flag or what have you? And one of the things that's that I've heard you talk about is about, and I think it's so brilliant, I talk about this all the time, that looking at people's parents, all of our individual parents' relationship and the power dynamic between them, I think is so telling. And you were talking about having that conversation when you're dating, like, tell me about your parents and what what their relationship was like. 
yeah, I don't, I don't know that guys uh, naturally are inclined to ask a question like that, but what was it like growing up around your house? How did your parents treat each other? These are really important questions because what we were discussing earlier, people repeat what they saw and what they grew up with. But also, if you are serious about somebody, you're you're not just, you know, if you're going to marry somebody, you're not just marrying them. You're marrying their friend and family as well. And if you can't tolerate them, then it's probably not a match made in heaven. But Absolutely. as far as larger strategies, um, I, in the back of the book, I have nine risk management questions that every man should ask. I'll give you all nine if you want, or we can just do a couple of them. But sure, whatever you like. One of the most important ones is, are her coping skills reliable? And men do not naturally, because uh, so many men are rescuers and, and they want to assist and they want to help, we're, we're almost disinclined to ask if a woman's coping skills are reliable, meaning that when she's having a really bad day, is she able to pull herself together? If she's in the middle of an argument, is she able to argue constructively? Is she able to see that um, maybe she's mad at you, but she still loves you? So coping skills, hands down, one of the most important things to look for. And by the way, something that I will tell my daughter as she's uh, looking for somebody to date, that um, you're going to come across some troubled waters at some point and you want somebody in your corner who can actually navigate the boat if you can't do it absolutely that's great advice another thing that i'll give you a second one that men are not really inclined to look for is inquisitiveness and what i mean by that is the ability to look at a situation and just be curious about what's going on so let's say that, that you and your spouse have started to develop a pattern of arguments well how does she respond to that? Does she respond to that with uh, just getting defensive and insisting that you change or having some sort of reactive response to it? Or does, is she able to sit back and say, this is kind of interesting. I don't know what's going on here. Let's see if we can figure this out. What's going on? Help me understand what you're thinking. You know, and just being inquisitive about what drives yourself, what drives you, what drives relationships. This is uh, such an important skill in any relationship. Yeah, these are these are big things. I mean, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking I've been married 21 years. I know you've been married a long time, too. And I'm thinking about trying to go back to when we were first together and how I definitely didn't ask these questions. And he didn't either. Um, and you yeah. and, you know, you learn them later that you um, I mean, you learn later that they are huge. Everything you're talking about. There's just no question about that. Um, OK, so what's another one? Is she assertive? Again, not something that, that traditional men are necessarily looking for in a woman, but it's really important that, that any partner that you're going to connect with is able to articulate what it is that she's trying to accomplish, what she wants from you. Can she put it in plain words? This is what I need from you at this moment and not be uh, passive aggressive or avoidant or do any of the things that's going to lead her to just be resentful down the road. Oh, that's the other side of the coin. If she's not assertive, she's going to be resentful. Right. And, of course, you're not talking about aggressive. You're talking just being able to speak your mind and say what you need rather than mm-hmm. doing it in a backhanded way, which is very, very destructive. Absolutely. Um, I yeah. could listen to the rest of them. I honestly could. But, I, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. But I have to tell people, you, you want to get this book the Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. There just are not a lot of, or any, I don't know, books on the market um, that are this helpful to, for men specifically. And, and Sean writes books for women as well, by the way. He's not just a psychologist for men. It's just that we happen to focus in on that today. So, um, Sean, it's been a great conversation. Where can people find out more about your work? 
Um, I'm on Twitter at IamShrink, and I also have a website such as it is at DocSmith.co, and you can find everything about me there. My guest today was Sean Smith, a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and author of The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next time when we talk with Andre Parody, a certified life coach, entrepreneur, and business owner who teaches singles and couples how to create and maintain successful relationships. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and please take two minutes to give us your review. If you want to hear more, that's the best way to make sure it will happen. Finally, if you have a comment or question, you can email Suzanne at the SuzanneVenkerShow.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Hair Saloon. It's more than just a haircut. You walk in the door, tired, spent, looking a bit ragged. You're greeted by a warm welcome like you've been here before. A complimentary drink slides across the bar, quenching your thirst for comfort and convenience. The sound of clippers and conversation can be heard drowning out the noise of the world. You sit comfortably, surrounded in soft leather and smooth chrome. The smell of oak and clubman talc reconnects you to traditions your father and grandfather once knew. The soothing sounds of sharp metal trim away at your problems. Staying put in a comfortable barber chair, you lay back, resting your eyes as warm water and sweet mint soap washes away your worries. You recapture a few minutes to feel strong again, to look your best, and to get ready for what's next. And you're ready to repeat again a few weeks later. Hair Saloon, for men against the grain. Visit hairsaloon.com to find a location near you. That's hairsaloon.com.